You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. All right, everybody, I want you to know that I'm really, really super fired up today, and I'm fired up for a lot of reasons. Of course, I'm really fired up about the incredible weekend that we had last week, but more than that, I'm fired up because I'm experiencing God's love and beauty and kindness like I've never known before, and it's amazing how after all these years, you kind of come to your senses and go, what was I thinking? And what you realize is that this really isn't about us, it's really about us getting God's love and understanding how much he cares for us so that we can give it away to others, right? And that he wants us to be healthy and strong so that we don't live in a world of dysfunction. And dysfunctions all around us and dysfunctions in churches all over the country, and many of us have experienced dysfunction in churches in the past. But I got a newsflash for all of you. This isn't that, and nor is this what I want, okay? So right now, I just want to tell all of you, relax. This is a family. This isn't Sunday's best. I know it's Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, but we're family here, and I've got to be myself, and I've got to be true to who God's called me to be, and so do you. God loves you right where you're at, and God has a way of pulling you up and higher and further into his promise and purpose. If you'll let him, if you'll receive his love for yourself, he'll do it because he's faithful. But the greatest thing that you have to overcome is yourself, really, because we're constantly worried or afraid or thinking about what other people think, and especially for me as a pastor, if I get a little bit too close to somebody that doesn't know me and they know I'm a pastor, they're going to think, what is he thinking? What is he seeing? Or, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't see my darkness or my issues or whatever it is. Point is, his love looks past that because Jesus looked past that. Because in the midst of your sin, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of hurt and pain, he came no matter what, nobody could stop him. And nothing could stop what Jesus wanted to do on the cross, <clears throat> what he had to do on the cross. Nothing could stop him. And so the choice has already been made. You just have to take hold of it. The option is right in front of you. You just have to take hold of him. And that requires you letting go of yourself and your own worries and your own fears and your own self-consciousness and your own identity and all these things that you think you are or you should be and saying, Lord, let me be who you want me to be. And we're not worried about everybody trying to measure us up because when we get set free of ourselves, we learn how to love and we learn how to love right and we realize any offense that I could take, anything that I could do to try to preserve myself is futile because Jesus took it all the way to the cross in a way I never could have. So if I just love him and if I look at what he did, I have no right to be offended. So when we talk about not getting offended and we talk about not complaining, we understand that if Jesus did it, we could do it. If he did it, I can do it. And that's one of the things that I say here a lot. So let's say it together. If he did it, I can do it. Because he did, I can. I say that all the time. Because I realize, because I've read the Bible, and I understand that Jesus was tempted in every way, and he went through every difficult, hard situation that I could ever go through. That's the good news. It was bad news at the time for him, but it turned out to be great news for all of us and even him. And he had to pay a price, a price that none of us have ever had to pay. And even in our laying down our lives and laying down our own selves and forsaking all, it compares nothing to what Jesus has done. So when we talk about pers perspective, you can't just say, stop complaining. You can't just say, you know what? 
you have no right to be offended. Well, I'm pretty upset right now. You really upset me. I don't like what you did. I don't like what you said. I don't like this. I don't like that. But see, when you get a perspective of what Jesus did, and when you get his love inside of your heart, and you become transformed, then suddenly all of those things don't matter anymore because I really do realize he paid such a price. I mean, flesh ripped out like all of my grief, all of my sorrows, everything, the chastisement of my peace, everything that I should have gone through, he took. And when I was separated, when I was far from God, and when I was abandoned, and when I was orphaned, he made me a son and brought me close and said, you're my beloved. And now that I know that, I realize he made me that so I could show you that. But what happens at church, especially on Sunday mornings, is people come thinking, man, I got to look my best. I got to be my best. I got to present my best. When the truth is, is that God cares about you and loves you and gave us all right where we're at right now. So what makes us the judge in the context of that you're not good enough or you're such a sinner, you're such a failure? None of us. Now, we can judge right and wrong from a spiritual standpoint because the Bible says that those that are spiritual are to judge the things that are spiritual or not spiritual. But instead of me judging all of your actions and instead of me trying to figure out what you are and what you aren't, I can look at you through Christ's eyes and I can see a purpose and a promise because I have telescopic vision. <laughs> telescopic vision is when Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven's perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. The word perfect in the Greek is the word teleos. And it's where you get the word telescope or telescopic. And it means that I can look at your life and I can see the way God sees and I can see a long-term vision and I can see through his eyes and instead of me trying to get you to measure up to please me and it be you, uh, it be about what you can do for me, instead of all of that, it's about what I can do for you and how I can show you God's love because I'm secure in it. Now you say, well, I've been hearing that from Dan. Well, we're just going to keep working it and taking it further because God takes you back to the beginning to help you understand that the cross was about bringing you to a place of self-denial so that it doesn't become about you anymore because everything that was released in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned was all about personal, selfish, make it about me, I'll be in charge, I'll be God, put me in charge, it's my intellect, I'll be the justice bearer, all of that came from the fall. And that was never God's original intent. There were five things in God's original intent. Everybody say five things. Five. You are not going to forget this. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over again. It's Genesis 1:28. five things. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. Five things. Memorize it. Because every one of those things is a picture and a pattern of the way that we're to live our lives today. And those are the things that were lobbed, lost, lobbed. Lost, robbed, lost and, lo and robbed is lobbed, just so that you know. Those are the things that were robbed and lost and stolen from the garden. So now when Jesus came back as a tender root, as the root of Jesse coming up out of dry ground, Isaiah 53, he was the new tree planted in a new garden that would become a tree of life that says he'll take it all for you so that Isaiah 54 can happen, which I'll read to you today. You say, well, I can never be perfect. No, you can't be perfect if you're trying to be religious and measure up with all your spiritual disciplines. Oh, you better read your Bible more. You better pray more. You better do this more. And then we feel guilty when I don't do it enough. And then I say, how are you doing spiritually? You say, I'm not measuring up enough. 
You may not say it that way, but you'll say it this way. I didn't read, I'm not really reading my Bible. I'm not really doing this. I'm not really doing that. And the real reason of that is because your heart's not been awakened to love, and maybe because you've forgotten your first love, or maybe you've forgotten to realize just how awesome and incredible and wonderful he is, and the lies of the enemy are telling you to eat from the tree of knowledge. You've got to get more knowledge, the news, the world, and everything the world's having to say. But the Bible says knowledge, it's two trees, a puffing up knowledge or an edifying love. Because the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so instead of it being more about how I can know more about all the things going on in the world around me, I want to know how I can love better so I can edify and build you up. Because edifying love is what this is about. Edifying love is what this is about. And we get angry and we get mad and we get offended and we get hurt, especially in marriage. Man, that's the one area. It's... It's easy to love the people that you work with every day that you don't have to sleep with every night. It's easy to love the people that doesn't, that doesn't see your weakness and your shortcomings and all your issues and all your struggles. But God puts two people together that are opposite for the purpose of complete self-denial. And I'm going to tell you something. It pretty much goes like this. Husbands, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. Now let me paraphrase it for you. Die altogether both ways. It's death on both sides, everybody. And not death in a bad way because when you really understand what it means to love the other, when it comes down to selfless sacrifice, Selfless, sacrificial love, the agape love from the Lord, when you have that moving through you, nothing can compare because you can't get offended and hurt. And now it's all about what I can do for my wife instead of what she can do for me. And in this culture, we have this precedence of, woman, you better have the meal cooked when I get home, and you better have the house clean when I get home, and you got two kids all day. What did you do all day with those kids? You should have had that house clean. I've counseled people. It is prevalent in this society. It's funny, but it's true. That the premises is, woman, what you can do for me, when Jesus laid her whole life down for the woman when she couldn't do a thing. And I will practice what I preach. And I will learn, and I will grow, and I will become more like love, and God will use marriage and use my wife to help me do it because he knew exactly what, what I needed in my life to make me more like him because marriage makes you more like him. It's agape love. It's selfless, sel un, un, it's selfless, not self-centered love. Sacrificial, thank you, that's the word that I needed. It's sacrificial love. And we're constantly worried about what we look like and what people think and if we measure up, and we're constantly self-conscious. And it causes us to walk in fear and anxiety and worry and doubt about tomorrow and what tomorrow looks like and what if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? And what my wife or our spouse can do for us and you're completely missing it. And then we get angry and we get mad and we bicker and we fight and then we do things we shouldn't do and next thing you know, you're going for a divorce and divorce is not biblical. Sure, there are times in the Bible where it says that you can, but that doesn't mean that that's a right. Just because a spouse cheats, oh man, that's it. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. What I'm telling you is that when you have complete laying down lives, you understand that this is all about loving others because we all played the harlot one time. Every one of us played the harlot once or more. 
We give ourselves away to the things of this world, even as Christians, from pornography to lust, to the things we look at, to the things we see, to the things we wish we had that we don't have. At the end, it's all adultery because we're putting these things and desiring things more than the things of the Lord. And God wants to be front and center. Seek first the kingdom and everything will be added to you. And so we're fighting and we're bickering and marriages are suffering because it's become about us and how my needs can be met, even if it's in the bed. And I'm telling you, God has called us to be spiritual, not sensual. He wants us to be spiritual, not sensual. And I can guarantee you, if you start loving the way Jesus loved, if you start loving your spouse the way Jesus loved, watch out, because it's going to be hot in the bedroom. I'm telling you, you got to get the main things the main things, people. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> We're just going with the flow today, all right? The gospel's not the way you've been. It's the way you become. That's what Dan said, and I loved it, and I latched onto that. It's not what you've been. It's who you become, but we're constantly thinking, and the devil's constantly lying. Look who you were. Look how much you failed. Look how much you did this. Look at all your problems, and I better, you better hope that that pastor doesn't see that or that person next to you doesn't see that, and they will constantly have these eyes of judgment of trying to look and see what, who you really are, and then years go by, and then we still say that you're just like you once were instead of believing the best for people. The world says you can't trust anyone, but Jesus says you trust and you love because love trusts, perfect love trusts, and love has boundaries to it. Even though love is unconditional, it's got boundaries. It's not jealous. It's not self-serving. So love is unconditional, but it's not this way. And when you take a look at the five things from the garden and you take a look at what it means to multiply, it means to increase with boundaries. It means to expand with boundaries. You've got to have boundaries. This church can't hold a 1,000 people. So we have to expand but still have boundaries. And true expansion comes with boundaries because the Lord sets spaces and places where people can be fruitful and mar- multiply. He even hedged in the garden yeah. with rivers yeah. so that the garden could be protected. And he says, I'm the gardener, and if you'll trust me, I'll put a hedge of protection around your life so that you can flourish in everything that you do. That's what God wants for you. And what are those spaces and what are those boundaries that God puts around us? His word, his truth, his life, the laying down of our lives, being spiritual, not intellectual. It doesn't mean you can't have an intellect, but the intellect's a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. It's submitted to the beauty and the greatness and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Instead of it being about me, it's about him. And now he gives me logic and understanding according to his logic and understanding. Because his higher logic is not subject to my lower logic. I'm not boxing God in. God hems me in so that I can be safe and so that I can flourish and bloom and blossom. That's what it means to multiply. He gives homes. Houses, safe places so that you can be nurtured and you can be strengthened. And that's what the church should be, more like a garden where people can come and be nurtured and strengthened with healthy boundaries instead of control and manipulation and us dominating each other. Because when the Bible, when God said have dominion, it never said have dominion over people. 
We were never to dominate each other, ever. We were to love and encourage and strengthen and propel and breathe life and nourish the garden of our hearts so you can become the tree you're called to be in purity and love and holiness. And we strengthen each other and we equip each other and we love right instead of getting offended and nasty and upset and leaving churches. And that pastor hurt me and this hurt me and that person. And we split relationships and it's all a lie of the enemy. All of it. Come on, it's all right if you're feeling a little convicted today. It's okay, I love you. But we have to call out the hurt, the pain, the sickness, because that's what a church is for. A church is really a place where people can come to get healing. And if you've overcome and you're strengthened in the love and the beauty and the greatness of Christ, then you've got to give it away. You've got to reproduce. So if you get it, you've got to give it. He does it in you so he can do it through you. And some of you here this morning are fighting and bickering and angry at God, and you're upset, and you're going through all these difficult situations because it's about you. And I'm not saying that this world isn't hard, and I'm not saying there's times where somebody did you wrong, and you can't pay your bills, and you don't know how you're going to make it. Those things happen. But how you respond and how you react, if you learn to respond and react the way Jesus did, you'll always, always overcome always overcome always overcome i loved what i read yesterday from sean bolts on his website on his facebook he said he, he retweeted what somebody said and it said this insecurity it's the definition of insecurity when what's around you is killing what's inside of you and security when what's inside of you is giving life to what's around you I'm going to say it again. Insecurity, when what's around you is killing what's inside of you. Security, when what's inside of you is giving life to what's around you. God wants you to be secure in his love, not in how good you are, your looks, your talents, your abilities, your money. He wants you to be fully confident and secure in who you are in Christ so that you can affect the world around you instead of being affected by the world around you. That's why I say God wants you to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You should set the temperature of the room when you come in. And you better believe when I walk in, we're setting the temperature of the room. And it will be hot. Pow. Shoot. I like it hot because he wants your love hot. You understand, the devil wants to get you broke, busted, disgusted, beat down. You're not good enough, sheepish old little you. You little old Gideon you. <coughs> Hiding out in the threshing floor, hoping the enemies don't see you. Just give me my little space and I'll be protected. I'm little old nobody me. And that is a lie. Because every single one of you Christ paid a price for. And every one of you the Bible is applicable to. As much as me as it is for you. God's no respecter of person. You have to learn to respond and grow in your ability. Because God gives you according to your ability. To some he gave one. To some he gave five. To some he gave ten. And you all wish you had ten all the time. But the truth is ten would kill you. You wish you win that lottery. But the lottery. I, seven out of ten people that win the lottery are in poverty today. Go do the numbers. They got robbed. They gave into drugs. The money killed them. And you think, oh, man, if I just won that lot, if I just had more. In the context of more stuff and more money, what you need is more love and more confidence in your identity so that you can affect change and that nothing will ever have you, but you'll have it. Do you understand? You guys fired up? Yeah. 
When you become, everything changes. When you become love, it's not about you. It's not about what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. Let me just tell you, I think this is one area, and again, Dan said that, this is one area that I think that we're doing pretty good on because really in a non-institutionalized church, it's about how can I propel you into the greatness that God has for you, not how much can you serve me or serve our kids. You do it because you have a vision and a passion and a love for it, and you recognize the need, and you answer the call, and you do it because it's in your nature, not because you have to, because we have to just serve. The ministry sequence of an institutionalized church goes something like this, sinner, saint, saint, servant. But the ministry sequence in the garden goes sinner, saint, saint, son. You have got to learn your identity and how Christ sees you because it changes everything. It's a game changer for our church. It's a game changer for how we do life and how we love people. It's a game changer for how we evangelize. So instead of me thinking, I better go over to Timmons because they need me, and then I go over there, and the same old people always want me to scratch their little itch because they're broke, busted, and disgusted, and then I just give them some food or I just do a few things, and they never get transformed, and I don't show them or give them the love of God because I'm going to meet my own need because I know it's what I'm called to do. And we have dysfunctional ministry everywhere around us, and we have a bunch of back scratchers instead of Jesus lovers that transform people's lives. We don't get our self-esteem needs met because we went to church today. I hope you don't feel better because you came. I hope you get so challenged and so fired up and so inspired to say, I've got to be more, I've got to become more, and I'm going to walk out those doors, and I'm going to go, I'm going to make it my number one desire to know how much God loves me and what he did for me, and I'm going to focus on that, period, because when you focus on that, you become it, and then when you become it, you can't help but giving it, because love is, love becomes, and love does. Let's say that together. Love is, love becomes, and love does. That's the title of my message this morning. We can't lean on others for love. I love my wife so much, but this is about how much can I really lay my life down. And every day when I'm fighting or I'm frustrated or I'm struggling because it's about me, God says, you don't know me in this moment. And I'm convicted and I say, I'm sorry, and I learn. And she loves me and we're in it for the long haul because she's learning and laying down her life too. And we're committed for the rest of our lives because this isn't about getting my needs met. Or, oh, She's not attractive enough, or she better wear better clothes enough. She needs to be confident in who she is and love the Lord for herself and feel good about herself, and I need to do whatever I can to try to help her do that. That's what, that's what this is about. This is what life is about, okay? So we don't have to worry about what other people think or say. We're not insecure where other people are changing my... Look, if you want a good example, Jesus is the best, but I'll be one too. Because I already know I have a lot of hurdles to overcome with my long hair and earrings and the way we do church and the way our music is and the way our style is. And I already know that not everybody's going to stay. But you know what? I know that the right people will stay. And I know God will bring the, bring the people that are on fire and want more and are tired of the same old, same old and are ready to blaze a new path. That aren't even coming angry because of the past. And even if you are hurt, God's going to bring healing and forgiveness to your life. But you actually are here because you believe there's something more for the future. We didn't start Rock City Church because everyone else is broken. We didn't start Rock City Church because I was so hurt from the past. And I had every opportunity and every chance to be offended. I'm telling you, every single opportunity. I was hurt and wounded in many ways by former pastors. 
I was left by myself when I served for years and years and years. I was lied to. I was told things that I never should, that no one would ever say to a son because I wasn't in a kingdom system. I was in a man-made system where it was about serving and job descriptions and hiring, and I'm going to pay you to do a job. And if you don't do a job, there's something wrong with you. What's the matter with you? And I'll make it spiritual to make you feel like you're less than. And some of you have been in that spot. And so we forgive because I don't have a right to be offended. I don't have a right to get mad at those pastors. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. Adam and Eve were fully deceived by the devil in the garden, and they hid from the very presence of God just like we hid. And we say, oh, the, the, the Romans killed Jesus. No, no, the Jews killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? We did. It doesn't even matter if it was the Jews or the Romans. What a dumb argument. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, really. Because we were all guilty. We all went astray. So you don't walk in here thinking, oh, man, I'm not a churchgoer enough. And people say, if I walk in that church, you have friends that say, man, I'm not coming to church because if I come to church, lightning's going to strike. And I'm like, dude, lightning already struck. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> lightning already struck. So you're good, bro. Because we were all orphaned. We were all abandoned. We all deserved a lightning strike. Because this isn't that church. This is a place where anyone can come, and this is the way the kingdom should be. This is the way all churches should be. And many churches in this city are, and many aren't. And you know what? I don't care. All I care about is being. And I'm not going to size you up and judge you up, because how do we measure up be love, become love, and do love? That's it. This is what this is about. Love is an outward working, but a never leaving. It means that I'm always giving, but I'm always positioned. I'm never giving out something that I don't stay replenished because it's a replenishing. So when I give, I'm getting back. In fact, many times I'll give knowing I'm going to get back. I burn the oil so that I can get more oil. It's not burning the candle at both ends so I'm burnt out and fried out. In fact, the Lord always keeps you replenished. And when you're doing what God wants you to do, it should be like being on vacation full time. Who wants to go on vacation forever? Serve the Lord. Because he said, my yoke is easy. In fact, if you look up the word easy, easy means chill out, dude. That's David Bendet version. It means go on a retreat, take a vacation. You're too uptight and you're taking this thing way too serious. For goodness sake, you're taking this way too serious. <coughs> Let my love do what my love does best, says the Lord. I'll show you how to do it if you'll let me do it in you. And the news flashes is you can't do it on your own. So he says, I'm going to jump inside your skin and help you. I'm going to get right up inside of you. I'm going to crawl inside of you. My DNA, my very nature and the essence of my spirit will work inside of you. It's not an alien. It's Jesus. <coughs> Pumping through my veins. And when Jesus is pumping through your veins, he gives you all the strength and all the ability and all the equipping and everything that you need to do it. So stop trying to figure it out. Some of you are saying, man, I'm pastor, I'm just trying so hard. Look, the minute I hear I'm trying so hard, red flag. Because you're trying. You don't try to be a son. How many of you put your last name in? I didn't try to be a Bendette. How many of you try to be a Garza? 
Try to be a straw. How silly. Man, I've been thinking all day today, man, how much I got to be a bendette. All day long I've been thinking. I, said, you be-. I looked at the mirror and said, you better be a bendette today. <laughs> now, I know who I am, so sometimes I fist- I'll do that thing. Dan said, I'll fist pump myself and say, you're a bendette. But I don't have to think about it. Because when you understand sonship and when you understand identity, it becomes like the air you breathe. It's second nature. You're trying to live a Christian life when you should have been transformed when you were born again. And if you understand that you're made a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. Dead old, new life. I put on the new man, the old man I put off. It's Bible. It says put off the old man, put on the new man. And so I put on the new man every single day. I understand I'm a new creation in Christ. Old David, pot smoking, drug dealing, deadhead following. All the things that I once was is not the man that I am now. Because he died. And so when the devil says, look at that little thing on the computer. Or check that girl out when I'm driving by. No, that man's dead. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Because you become... A new creation daily, every day. It's less of you, more of him. Paul said, I die daily. But we don't have a lot of dying in the church. We have a lot of ear tickling, a lot of comfort, a lot of back patting. Hey, I really love you as long as you're doing what I want you to do. Man, I really love you. Man, you're really, you're really making me happy today. Oh, you really made me feel good today. Extra special. And it doesn't mean we don't do good things for each other. It doesn't mean we don't wash our spouse's cars and clean the house because we're doing it to serve because it's our pleasure to love, not because she doesn't make her even happy. It's going to be a good night tonight. (laughs) Trust me, we don't live that way. (laughs) It's a good night when she says it's a good night. That's all there is to it. I have no control of the situation. (laughs) God gives you supernatural ability to overcome fear. So you have to understand that when you fear something, you become subdued. I love what Dan said because he said, you can't be subdued. You're called to subdue. And when you fear something, that thing you fear already has you. I learned this without a preacher telling to me. You know how you'll really learn it? When a demon manifests in front of you. Or somebody's cussing you out to your face, really angry and mad, and they get two inches from your face, and they're looking you dead square in the eyes to see how you're going to react. I've had it. Had homeless people hit me in the head recently. You were there, knocking on my head, yelling at me, accusing me of things. It was all the devil. None of it fazed me. I looked him right in the eyes and said, I love you. I said, I know this isn't who you are. People come to me and confess stuff all the time about personal sins and darkness. I say, I love you, but I know this isn't who you are, and I look them right in the eyes. I've had people manifesting demons ready to punch me in the face and screaming at me to my face inches away while they spit on me, and they're staring me down to see if I'm going to flinch because fear is the number one tactic of the enemy to overcome you. And if you're afraid, then you've suddenly given into it. And God has called you to not walk in any fear over anything except fear of the Lord. Do you got that? Adam and Eve forsook, they forgot the fear of the Lord. They didn't have the fear of the Lord when they compromised. And had they had the fear of the Lord, there would have never been. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. So the true knowledge that they were supposed to have was fear me, but not in a terrorist way. 
That's not terrorism fear. The devil's fear is terrorism fear. Now, God can, has instilled terrorism fear in the Old Testament towards his enemies, but so many of you are living in an Old Testament mindset. You just see God through an Old Testament lens and don't understand that God changed the game. Old covenant, new covenant. The law of sin and death, because the law of sin and death, the law exposes just how jacked up we are. And so if you're constantly living in this thing of I'm so screwed up, I'm such a mess up, I'm never going to get it right. Old Testament, old nature, old tree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's your test. If you're living in failure zone, woe is me, pity party, victim mentality, old tree, Old nature, Old Testament. If you think God's mad at you and angry and going to smite you and kill you and all these things, Old Testament, Old tree. In fact, they even said when Jesus was being crucified that he was being smitten by God. Read Isaiah 53. It's God, it's your fault. When God came looking for Adam and Eve and he called out to Adam, he said, we read it as, <coughs> Adam, where are you? But the real way that you should read it is, Adam, how did you get here? Because God wants us each to self-realize and a good preacher, a good minister, and a good church service and a good time in the word is a constant self-realization that I was depraved but God loved me. It's a constant self-realization that it's not about me and it's a constant understanding from him because God wants you to realize and recognize, how did I get here? That's why I talk about the garden a lot because if we don't understand God's original intent and how this whole thing went astray, then you don't really fully understand the power and the wonder of the cross. And we think that Jesus just died because you're a sinner. And God was an angry God. No, that's not true. And I'll show it to you in the Bible. I'll show it to you today. Love is an identity. It's one that we become. We embrace it. We embody it. Because God is love and because he is we are. Love is a being and it's a demonstration of love. Love gives, love does. And so if you really love, then you're, you're becoming it and you're demonstrating it to everyone. And this is how people really know if you're a son, not even a Christian. Because Jesus didn't say, if you really love well, they'll know you're Christians. Because so many people can call themselves Christians in the name of love. But true love comes from sons and daughters. And they'll say, man, what is it about you? I met a lot of Christians, but I got bandito outlaw bikers that won't even talk to you or shake your hand. But they love me because they know I love them well. And they say, man, I don't know any Christians like you. I said, because I'm, I'm not like most Christians. I'm a son. And sons know their daddy. And sons know how their daddy loves. And sons reflect their daddy. Because it's about image and likeness. And I talked about that last week. Image is you look like, likeness is I sound and act like. But God wants you to have both image and likeness. He wants you to look like him. And he wants you to sound and talk and act like him. He created you in his image and his likeness. Man, I'm fired up today. I know some of you are, are a little sleepy. I just want to tell you, one, I'm really okay if you fall asleep when I preach. I really mean it. I had a family last service. Kids fell asleep. She's like, I'm so sorry, Pastor. I said, please stop apologizing. I would rather you fall asleep here than not be here. Some of you work long shifts. Some of you work turnarounds. 
Some of you work five days on and you barely drug yourself in and you fell asleep. And guess what? Just being in this atmosphere of me preaching goes into your ear and it'll get into your life and I don't care. Now, I do wonder sometimes if I'm so boring that I'm putting you to sleep, but I got over that. <laughs> right? I'm not self-conscious like that anymore. You know what I mean? I'm just glad you're here. You need to know that. I'm just glad you're here. And I'll do my best to get you fired up because love is hot and love should be fiery. Church should be passionate. Even when I'm crying and I'm weeping, I'm passionate and on fire. You can live this way, people. This is the way God has destined you to live. You just got to get the revelation and the realization of it. <laughs> there's two choices I shared earlier. There's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. So if you're being puffed up because you know, some of you know too much, you've been going to church too long. And you're living in this, I know that already. And then we come to church with this mindset, man, pastor's preaching that garden thing again and that love thing again. I've been hearing that nonstop. But the person next to you just came in, it's getting so rocked right now, they weep and they cry and they respond and they get wrecked. And you walk out saying, man, I didn't get anything from that today because it was about you. Yeah, that felt good. Now, I love all of you, but you've got to understand there's a bigger mission. There's a bigger vision. You go spend time with the Lord night and day, day and night. The word should not depart from you day and night. Meditate on it day and night. Day and night means day and night. <laughs> it's day and night. And you do it because you're so hungry. And I've come to the place now where it's like, man, I... I know I have to take a break sometimes because I'm like on such overload. But here's what I've learned. When I'm not walking in love and I'm not connecting with the Lord and spending time with him because I love him and I'm doing my religious duty just because I feel like I have to, I can think through my whole life of all that I've learned with the Lord. And I've learned a lot. I've walked with the Lord a long time. I've read my Bible a lot. I've been doing this that I'm doing right now for three straight years. That's a lot of Bible reading and preparation. And I can get with the Lord and go, okay, man, I'm ready to type up all this stuff I know, and I totally have writer's block. And I have these moments where I try to remember scripture, or I try to remember things in my own strength, in my own ability. I'm like, okay, I'm going to rehash all that I know so I can write this message, so I can do this, so I can say that. And there's times where, man, God wipes the slate clean, and I can't remember anything. And then I have these moments, a lot of them. And I get with the Lord, and I sit, and I meditate with his goodness and his greatness, and I get away. And do you know when Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door? The other day, I was laying in my bedroom in my house. The kids and the, my wife and kids had gone out to, the, to her parents' house. God said, get up and shut the door. I said, God, nobody's here in the house. He said, shut the door. I said, why? <laughs> he was okay with that. He's my dad. Why, Dad? Because I don't want you having any distractions. And, and by the way, turn your phone off. Shutting the door is shutting the door to all distractions and isolations that would take you away. Because what will happen is, is you'll be having an experience and you'll be weeping and crying. And God will come. You'll be totally connected with him. And brrr, brrr, zzz, oh my gosh, text message, email. And even if it's a quick thing and it's like you look at it, and then suddenly I got, I was so dialed in with him and having this awesome encounter, and now I'm thinking about so-and-so and such-and-such and, -so and, -such and this-and-that. 
So you make a list of things that you know have to be done, and you tell your spouse or your closest friend for the next 30 minutes or an hour, I'm putting my phone on silent, and I'm shutting the door because he's my number one. That wasn't in my notes either. <laughs> you can always make the choice, but here's the news flashes. There's no other option. You know why? Because he, he didn't give you an option. You know why? He said, I'm dying, and you can't stop me. I'm going to do this whether you respond or not. For the Satanist out there right now or the atheist or the hardest of the hard that doesn't want anything to do with God, I got a newsflash for you. He died for them. He said, I'm coming. And when God ordains something, he doesn't, nothing's going to stop it. This is ordained of the Lord. And I believe if you'll get the revelation of this and you understand and you'll walk in the spirit and you'll let him be the Lord of your life, it's lordship. It's lordship, not just savior. I don't want to just get you saved. I want you to become something great. And so Jesus came and he said, look, I already know that my very own bride's going to pull the hair out of my beard. And they're going to shove some spike thorns in my head. They're going to cut me open. They're going to mock me. The, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish priests and elders were his, considered his bride because he died for them. He laid his life down for everyone, not picking and choosing him for just a few people. But, well, we don't like that. And we get offended or we get upset because other people aren't responding the way we think they should. A guy comes in here, he's been drinking, he's a little too loud, and he just comes in for the worship like it's a concert, and same old, same old, and we think, man, what's the matter with that guy? Just like the two people that went into the temple, and one said, man, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. That you may not even be saying it, but your actions can act like it. Thank you, Lord, you set me free, and I've been fasting, I've been praying. Man, I got all my spiritual disciplines in line. Woo! And the sinner saying, have mercy on me, O God, and banging his chest. And God says, whose prayer do you think God answered that day? We never get haughty, and we realize we were all orphaned. We were all outcasts. We were all abandoned. We were all without a husband. We all needed to be betrothed, and we all needed to be adopted, and we all needed to be brought back in. All of us did. <laughs> so love is, love becomes. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, he who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. And God put this into perspective for me. 1 John 4, 8, here's what he said. When I got really mad at my wife the other day because of some dumb thing I can't even remember now, God said, you don't know me right now. What are you talking about, Lord? Of course I know you. He says, no. Right now, in this moment, you don't know me because this isn't how I would act. If you knew me, you wouldn't act this way. And we get all religious. That, man, of course, I got saved. I got born again. Now I know God. And yet, so many Christians don't love the way he loves. And we live like the devil or we fight and we bicker and we get offended. Pow, there's your scripture. Because in that moment, it doesn't mean that you don't know him altogether, but it means in that moment, you're not acting and living, and you don't know him for who he really is in that moment. Because we're, we get selfish. It's old nature. It's old tree. It's a little more you that's got to die. Thank God he's patient. 
But he says, come on, I need, you can be perfect like I'm perfect. You can love the way that I love. You can do it. And even if the Bible says that we won't be perfect until that which is perfect comes, I can still sure as the heck give it all I got. I can sure try, can't I? And so can you. Jesus became love, John 17, 26, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. He became it, and then he put it in you. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you if you're born again. Not a partial little baby seven-pound Jesus, as cute as that may sound. <laughs> when, you got, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he fully inhabits and fully dwells. He fully became love, and then he put himself inside of you because he realizes in your own strength, in your own way, you couldn't possibly love like he loved, but with him you can. So you recognize and realize, I can't even do this in my own strength. I can't even try to become more. I can just say, Lord, show me how to love because I don't really know. I want to become more like you. I Show me how to love. That's a wonderful prayer. And just admit it and take off the Sunday best and the facades and the personas and the religiosity and just be honest with yourself. I'll be the first. I'll tell on myself all day long. I don't know how to fully love like he does, but I want to. And if you'll be real with yourself, and if you'll say yes in your heart, the Lord can work with that, and he will work with that. You can be saved and never answer an altar call. I've had people say, man, pastor, thank you. I've been coming to this church for three months, and I'm saved, yet she never came up. She got a revelation, and she said yes, and pow. Think about Paul on the Damascus Road. He's killing Christians. He's on the way to murder them. So how does God get him saved? He blinds him with light, and as soon as he gets knocked to the ground at noonday, he says, Lord, that's it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord is salvation. And you can get people to say, Lord, when they look at you and your light shines so bright that they get blinded by the light inside of us and it blinds them to the old self and it, then it suddenly shifts them to the new self and they go, I gotta have that Jesus. I gotta have him. I say, man, there must be something and they drive away and they go, Lord, pow. But in our religious ways, we gotta click the numbers of people that got saved and 26 people got saved last week. Oh, really? I don't know how many people got saved here. I can tell you it's a lot. I can tell you a lot of people got transformed, but I'm not even, my even concern is even how many people I get saved. What I care about is how many people are being transformed to be more like him. And I want to inspect the fruit of Melody's life and go, holy cow, she is on fire. She is burning. She's blazing. I mean, she's a torch to no end. And then I look at RC and I look at Rochelle and I look at you and I go, oh my gosh, you're not even the same person you once were. You're transformed in the beauty and the greatness of God. And I don't even know when you answered an altar call. Because I don't care. One John four nine, in this, in this the love of God was manifested. So how was God's love shown? The word manifested means an exhibit. You ever go to Sam, see the knife guy, or ever go to a the expo, the the uh, expo coming up, what is it, home and garden show? People are demonstrating their product. Now picture Jesus a thousand times better demonstrating what he does. It's a manifestation. He's an exhibitor. It's showtime. There's going to be a show tonight because that's who he is. He was elevated on the cross, out of the grave, up to the heavens twice. 
God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. We live through God. And then God demonstrates his love. So love is, love becomes, and love demonstrates. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So in the midst of sin, Christ gave his life. And so when you've seen somebody in the midst of sin, you got to understand that this is what Jesus gave his life for. And then because he did it, we do it. So now we do our best to lay our lives down with healthy boundaries. Don't, I'm not going to be a doormat to be used and abused. Jesus already did it. I don't have to. Oh, I had, I, there's some weird stuff in the New Age world. This one lady thought she had a gift of impasse. It's what they call it. It means, it's just like the movie The Green Mile. You've heard me talk about it before, where I think that I can take your sickness upon me because I'm strong enough. And if you're sick, I'm going to bear your, we, even Christians can do this. I'll bear it upon myself. And I got pain because you got pain. I'm going to take your pain upon me when that is deceptive and that's a lie. And this girl thought she could take the pain of somebody else and touched him, and then she got completely filled with the demon, was rolling around on the ground, and then the demons were saying, "Take, let's go to the water so that she could be drowned. This was the, you, some of you heard the story, the very first girl I ever cast a demon out of. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any training. I had read the Bible. I knew it was biblical, and God put me in the spot and said, now watch, I'm going to teach you. But people think that they can take it upon themselves when Christ already took it upon himself. I don't have to be a doormat. I can love right i can love the way jesus and if jesus says be a doormat i'll be a doormat because you do whatever jesus tells you to do whatever it is and how do you know if it's jesus number one you got a bible to back it up and it's biblical and number two you're going to have people around you if you're in community and doing the kingdom right that say wait uh, uh, that doesn't sound right that's not biblical don't jump off that bridge god's not telling you you can fly but I know the Bible says I can fly. He's going to mount me up on wings as eagles. I'm jumping off this bridge. <laughs> there are many different types of love in the Greek. There's eros love, which is where we get the word erotic. Erotic love. Erotic love, everybody. Erotic love is a, is a very impassioned love that is a good love when it's between a husband and wife in marriage. But outside of that, it becomes a sensual, sexual love that causes us to chase pornography and go to strip clubs and do all these other things because it really comes about us and about getting love, getting our needs met, and, and getting a, a void in our heart filled that's only supposed to be filled in the context of marriage. And even in marriage and in the marriage bed, it's got to be about your spouse, the bride, not about you, men. We'll move on from that one. Then there's the fillet. Philia love, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, and this is close friendship or brotherly love. This is the love I have for all of you outside of my marriage and my own spouse. This is a brotherly love that I just love you and I care about you and you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then there's storge love, storge love, which is uh, personal family love. It's natural affection like parents with their children or Martha and Mary or Jesus and Lazarus. But there's one kind of love that's selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. It's the highest form of love that there is. It's a love that makes it not about you, and it's a love that says, I'm laying my life down, and that's what Jesus did, and that's the God kind of love, and it's called agape love. And this is the love that God, it doesn't mean that in the right context those other love, loves are bad, but the ultimate and highest form of love is the God kind of love, the agape love. But the devil is a pervert, and he perverts love. And he wants you to get offended and defensive and protective. And he wants you to walk in fear, shame, and control. He doesn't want you to experience love for your, 
for yourself. He tells you lies. And so at the end of the day, the only way to really love is to understand love by getting it for yourself and getting the revelation of it for yourself. Make it your ambition. I can preach it all day long. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you everything that you burnt down back for, for beauty. He wants to trade beauty for ashes. People say to me all the time, Pastor, is cremation biblical? I say, I don't know, but he trades beauty for ashes, so must be. Because the truth is that old body that went into the grave, that was however it was, probably needs to just, in fact, the whole earth is going to burn up one day anyways. You're all worried about the graves. I'm not telling you that you should cremate. Everybody should be cremated. What I'm telling you is the point is, is we get so trivial about all this stuff when God trades beauty for ashes and anything and everything you burnt down. All your broken relationships, your past, your failures, your shortcomings, even if you were raised a Christian your entire life, everybody had a need for Jesus because everybody suffered the consequence of the fall. <coughs> I call this the love test. Here's how you can test your love. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which, by the way, that's a lie of the devil, and it's a man-made religious rule that came from man trying to control people this is not what god said if you go back to leviticus it didn't say love your neighbor and hate your enemy god said to be compassionate to everyone and you'll read it in the bible you say well, well then why did god do this and why did god do that listen to me god had his purposes and his plans in the old testament but always cared always had compassion and he was fighting a battle on behalf of his chosen people to get us to where we are today and he could see with long-term vision all the way from the garden all the way till right now he has telescopic vision. He can even see for my children and your children's children. He's got telescopic vision. And he knew that that one sin would affect all of creation. So therefore, he had to banish him from the garden so that, so that that sin wouldn't be infectious forever and so that Jesus could come. I know I gave you a lot of stuff, but the point is, is the devil's a liar. Love your enemy and hate your neighbor, not. Verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Three things, love, bless, pray. And people will spitefully use you. You'll be in situations even with your own family where people are coming against you and you feel like you've got to defend yourself and protect yourself. But here is the ultimate test of love, especially when people are coming against you. And it says in verse 45, this is the sign that you're a son or a daughter in how you love, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Because you have to understand, then he goes on, he, he puts it in a context that the sunrise rose on everyone today. The good and the bad. Everybody. The rain rains on everyone. And so God loves everyone. He said that he didn't come to condemn the world because the world's already in condemnation. So why would we in our religious ways add to the condemnation of others? We do that as Christians. We're constantly condemning people. Because we think we're right, and we got to protect, or we got to fight, and it's not from God's, God's heart. He says, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors do that. Tax collectors were the scum of society because they were Jews that were partnering up with the Romans to oppress the Jews. And now when your own people are oppressing you, your own family member, so Jesus uses the worst of the worst, and he says, even the tax collectors will love people that do good for them. Anybody can do that. If you greet your brethren only, you don't, what do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do it. Therefore, 
be perfect as your Father in heaven is imperfect, and it's all in the context of love. It's not in perfection of, oh, man, I tripped up on that sin again. I'm just a sinner. That's not the context. Sure, you're going to have to overcome. Nobody's ever, if the Bible says, if anybody says they're without sin, they're a liar. We're all overcoming sin till the day we die. But we can become more like him and have less and less of it, can't we? And, but the context here is that you can love the way he's talking about love and how you love people. And he's saying, look, I got perfect love for you. And you know what perfect love does? It casts out all fear because people are in torment and bondage. But when perfect love comes, there's no fear. It drives it out. So you can be the type of person that when you come around, that's why I love giving words. You know, when I see certain people, I see strength and stability. Have you ever been around somebody that when you get around, you feel so good and so safe? Mamas and papas and certain friends, like, man, I just, like when I was with Dan, I just wanted to like lean up against him. I felt so safe when I was with him. Now, I'm going to leave you guys with a couple things, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you today, okay? Yeah, you can come up, but don't start. Come on up. I want to leave you guys with a couple things. Isaiah 53, I want to read the first six verses, because this puts into perspective, because when we talk about not being offended, and when we talk about not being self-centered, and when we talk about... you. You've got to put it into context, and I talked about that earlier, about putting it into a perspective that makes sense. And so I would encourage all of you to read Isaiah 53, and in Isaiah 53, I'll just read a few verses. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He will grow up before him, this is talking about Jesus, as a tender plant. Everybody say a tender plant. We're all growing up as tender plants, Okay. You need to know that, and you need to understand that as God did it for Jesus, Jesus does it for us. So we grow as tender plants and as roots out of dry ground. Jesus was, I'm going to paraphrase some of this. Jesus wasn't so attractive that you would come to him just because of his beauty. Some of the best fruit is ugly on the outside, but incredibly tasting on the inside. Prickly with thorns on the outside, but on the inside, it's fantastic. And the point is, is that you're not going to pick Jesus like, like Samuel would have picked uh, Jesse's oldest son. You're not going to pick because it looks good. You're going to do it because you know that life and love and liberty and power are in his hands. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Now, you think about yourself, and when you go through it, the fact that he already took it. And so we shouldn't be acquainted and suffering and being rejected to the degree he was because he was. And if people come against me, whenever I get rejected, really genuinely rejected, I go, listen. I have no right to be hurt or offended here because Jesus was really rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and look what we did. We did the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. We hid our faces, and today people hide their faces all the time. They come in here, and they think that, oh, I'm in church. I got to be Miss, Mr. and Miss Christian, and I got to be right, and I got to put my best on or whatever it is, and here comes the pastor, and I get watched with these telescopes, not good telescopic eyes, like I'm under a, t a, a microscope. If I like you, if I don't like you, I didn't like that song, I like that song. Why do they let the children up front? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? And we're constantly judging, and all these things don't matter. They're not priority. Is God here, and is there fruit here? Because you know a tree by its fruit, and if this is your speed, and this is your nature, and this is your, cur your culture, come on. And if it's not, there are 300 church, th over 300 churches in Corpus, and I guarantee you there's some really good ones. Because I love many of the pastors that I know in this city. Many of them. We're not here to take away. It's not a competition. 
We're a tribe and a family on a mission to do something new and beautiful, and we're not the only ones. This isn't Christian utopia. We're not the 144,000 that's just going to heaven and no one else is. <laughs> I'm going to go a few minutes long, so hold off on the kids for a moment. He was full of sorrow. He was despised. We didn't esteem him. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows, and we blamed God for it. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Look, if you're God, save yourself. They said that to Jesus. If, if really you're a Christian, where was your God? Why didn't God heal you? Why didn't God save you? Lie of the devil. It doesn't matter whether he did or he didn't because I'm going to love Jesus no matter what because I'm standing on his word no matter what I'm facing. I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to contend. I'm still going to fight for healing in every promise in the Bible. And you're not knocking me off that because I walk with the Lord too long. And, I, and you say, well, pastor, just wait till you go through some traumatic crisis situation, and I'm going to tell you I believe that I'm not going to have to go through because I've been through enough already. It's like, oh, man, he's going to take you a little further by afflicting you. Lion devil, that is not the Bible. I know that hardship comes, but the Bible says that to take heart in the midst of trouble, that I don't have to worry or fear, that my little girl's going to get sick, or a car accident's going to happen. I know they happen. Some of you are too obsessed with the news and everybody else that's dying, and you got to get your eyes on Jesus so that you're not walking in fear because the world system is to designed to put you into fear. Hear what I'm saying to you today. The world system is designed to put you into fear. So Jesus took it all. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chat, what I deserved was upon him. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. And here's the great, I love verse 6. All, everybody say all. all. Like sheep went astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And if you read all of Isaiah 53, it's all about Jesus becoming a propitiation for our sins and taking upon the cross a new tree. He became a tree. He took the tree so that we could go to the tree of life and live abundantly. And then I really love Isaiah, the very next thing. So right from that, it goes right to Isaiah 54. And I want to read to you Isaiah 54 before we close. And the reason why I want to read to you some of Isaiah 54 is because 53 goes right to 54. So to understand Isaiah 54, you've got to understand Isaiah 53. And many of you may have seen me put that video blog out at the first of the year of my word from the Lord for the year. It was Isaiah 54. Nobody told me that. I came straight from the Lord. I said, Lord, what are you saying for this year? It came so easy. I didn't have to study it out. I didn't pray for more than 10 minutes. He downloaded it to me. I didn't even fully understand what Isaiah 54 meant. But I declared it. And I've spent more time meditating on it. So Jesus gives his life. And now it goes right into 54. Jesus will take the cross. And now we go right to this. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. I said, God, what's that? He said, you are the desolate woman. I had a woman once that I was married to that forsook me. So now I'm coming to the outcast nations and I will ransom them as my son and daughters. You were the outcast. You were barren. We were all barren once. But God says, start singing, people. Start lifting your voice because I'm expanding you. I'm going to enlarge your territory for a purpose and for a reason 
and you can rejoice because more will your children be than even those children of Israel. And we can still understand that I'm the seed of Abraham. We're not kicking Israel to the curb. We're all sons and daughters and seeds of Abraham. But do you understand that the Gentile nations of the world, you will be the expansion and the promise of God when you were once barren, he makes you fruitful so that you can expand so that the nations can become an inheritance of the Lord. <coughs> I'll show it to you. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and, and let them stretch out their curtains of our dwellings. Don't spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. This isn't, oh man, you better, you better get ready, bro. You're getting a bigger house and more cars and more stuff. You're going to expand. It's expansion time. Yeah. More stuff. That's not what it's about and that's not the context of the scripture. And take it from a man that's got a lot of stuff. I'm telling you right now, it's not about the stuff. It's all going to burn in the end. Your car, your house, all of it. One day, the, the Bible says it's all going to burn. Don't hang on too tight. Enjoy it. Use it for God's purposes. Take it. Don't be super weird religious about it. But you consecrate it and submit it to God. Everything's consecrated to his purpose. <clears throat> and so when he says, get ready to enlarge your tent, what was he just talking about? The barren woman's going to have a lot of kids, right? Are you following me? So he says, enlarge, get ready. Verse 3. Expand to the right, to the left, and you're what? You'll expand to the right, and you're what? You're what? I preached a message, the descendants of God, and the pro or the promises of God are the des our descendants and territory. Not for our own purpose, so I can have bigger ranches and more cattle, but so that I can be a blessing to the nations and expand to represent, reflect, and give back to him. I would like a ranch with cattle, but understand that if I get that, it's going to be for his purpose. Really? So you expand, your descendants will do what? They'll inherit what? How are the descendants going to inherit the nations? Because when I reproduce with spiritual sons and daughters and natural family, then my children and your children, and as we expand, this isn't about how much bigger we can make the sanctuary. We understand that we have to make the sanctuary bigger because there's more kids coming. And our kids' ministry is so overpacked right now that we got to expand for our descendants because God wants to bring more. And God wants to bring more so he can reproduce, not so I can have more money in the bank and say I got a thousand member church. Who cares? It's about reproducing to send out to the nations to take the nations. He makes the desolate cities inhabited and then he restores the garden in verse 4. He says, don't fear, don't be ashamed. Because when Adam and Eve ate, they were ashamed. And being self-conscious makes you ashamed. Because you're worried about yourself and you're worried about what everybody else says. When Adam and Eve were created, there was no shame. And as soon as they ate, they were in shame. And they looked at themselves, they were ashamed, and they hid. No more hiding, everybody. It's time to come out. So God wants you to expand, and God's going to expand you. God's going to expand your territory. And little did I know what I was talking about in Isaiah 54 when I proclaimed that word in the very first of the year when I said, get ready to expand. Because as Dan Muller was here, we got so rocked. It was such divine time. I dropped him off at the airport. And on my way home, Amber texts me and she says, I need you to stop by CVS. <laughs> We're pregnant, everybody. Yeah! <laughs> expanding 
is 333 everywhere we go. Unless we have twins, and I'm believing for twins. I'm just telling you right now. Double it up, baby. Double it up. Thank you guys for letting me go long. Why don't you all stand? Hold off on the kids. I'm going to pray and then dismiss you guys. God will have his way. It's all I got to say. God will have his way. We trust him and we love him and we honor him. And I have to tell you, I'm so excited for this pregnancy. I'm, I'm really excited because I just know that God's really got something great and big. And I trust him. We're not going to walk in fear. We're going to trust and we're going to love and we're going to honor and we're going to reproduce in the natural and the spirit. This, this church is a place for that. And so today I probably said a lot of things that hopefully really made you think. I mean, that's what I really want to do. I want to make you think. I don't want you to feel beat up or broke down, but I want you to think to yourself, man, I've really either missed the mark or I can do better. I can love my spouse better. I can love my colleagues better. I can love my coworkers better. I can, I can do this better. Lord, show me. And that you'll be honest with yourself and just say, man, Lord, I don't really know how to do this. I don't really know how to love. And you'll be honest and you say, man, I, I haven't really known who God is. I've known God from a distance and a religious standpoint, but I haven't really known what it means to really love the way he loves. Right? Just be real with yourself today. So we're going to do two things, and we're going to pray a corporate prayer, because I believe everybody needs to pray the prayer we're going to pray today. But then some of you really are, would like somebody to pray with you for healing. You're not getting prayer because you, you need your self-esteem needs met. You're getting prayer because you're hurting, and you want somebody to love you and comfort you and to point you to Jesus and, and agree with you for his purpose. Do you understand that? You can come to prayer every week. At some point, you've got to get a revelation that the Lord loves you and he cares about you. He's going to see you through it because his love will set you free. So prayer partners come up. All my prayer partners come up, please. I'll dismiss everybody together here in a moment. And if you want to get your kids here when, you, when I dismiss you, you can bring your kids back. Children don't bother us at all. I like the sound of laughing, giggly kids. And, and whoever's beautiful children were up here this morning worshiping right up in this area, all those pretty girls in those dresses, oh man, I was getting rocked today by those kids rocked by those kids i'm telling you I, I mean rocked so come on up prayer partners come on up ministry team so today is the day yeah oh yeah ryan's coming up to pray and i thought he was going to tell me so i'm like yeah <laughs> and so today's the day if you want somebody to stand with you for healing or you've never given your life to Jesus Christ if you've not been born again. Look, it all starts with being born again. If you want this passion and this love and you want to really take hold of what I talked today, you need lordship. And lordship is to be fully born again and say, God, what you say, what you want, that's what I want. Okay? So let's all pray this prayer together and then I'll release you. And if you need prayer, come up. Please, when we're done, be, you know, quietly exit out and take conversation in the lobby. Know that I love you all so much. This coming Wednesday is First Worship Wednesday, and so we're going to be worshiping all Wednesday night. We're going to receive communion together as a family. Some of you have asked about my mom. She's moving here tomorrow night. Please pray for us, okay? Please pray for us. So today's your day, guys. Close your eyes. Put your hands out in front of you. Lift them up high. Don't be ashamed or afraid. It just doesn't matter. Who cares what anyone else thinks? You're surrendering. I'm surrendering. Every day we die daily. Come on. Every day. 
<clears throat> so, Father, we just thank you. We'll pray together. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray together. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Oh, Lord, you're so alive. Lord, you're so alive in this place, God. You're so alive in this place, Lord. You're alive in us. We're four weeks to Easter and Passover Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Tell them, Lord, I'm ready to be alive right now. I'm not waiting. Resurrect me. Resurrect me, God. We'll just pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to love like you love. I want to be it. I want to see it. And I want to give it. And I want other people to see your love in me. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for going my own way. I don't want to be a strayed sheep. I want to be your sheep. And you be my shepherd. You are my shepherd, Lord. I don't want anything else. I don't have any lack. You lead me beside still waters into green pastures and I don't have any fear your word your breath your rod and your staff, they comfort me my cup's running over Lord do you know when your cup's running over it's infectious that means it's going to get on other people he prepares a table thank, say thank you Lord that you're putting me to rest and dine even with people I haven't liked and let my cup run over so they can see your goodness and mercy that follows me all the days of my life there you go you just prayed six verses Psalm 23 the Lord's your shepherd everybody I speak life health peace strength and an awakening and a revival to you and your family May you never live for yourself, but may you always be a laid down life for others. I bless you mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on up for prayer. If you, got you have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay fired up.